0: Hello, sci-fi fans. This is Sally Kellerman, and you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Live long. I'm Bad feeling about this.
1: So say we all.
2: This is going to get pretty interesting. Divine interest. Oh, God, oh, God, we're all going to
0: die?
1: Only try to realize the truth? It's nice
2: food.
0: Delicious strawberry flavor.
3: You are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast, and now from the end of the universe,
2: bringing you the latest in science fiction movies and television
0: shows. Here are your hosts.
2: Welcome to
1: the Sci Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 108. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I am Miles B. McLaughlin. I felt like I was doing a lot of air there. <laughs> like, <laughs> Herzog. Well, welcome to the Diner Night. Miles, how in the heck are you? I'm doing pretty good. It's a great night to be a sci fi watcher. We just got done watching Falling Skies. We're interviewing, what, Connor Jessup tomorrow? That's awesome. That's Ben. Mm-hmm. Talk about the guy that the show revolved around, in a sense.
3: Uh, Yeah, it definitely. You know, he was definitely a pivotal character in this show. Yeah, and uh, again,
1: uh, by the time you hear us talking about it, we'll have interviewed him. Mm -hmm. But there's links up on our Facebook fan page, and we've had some listener comments that I'll try to weave into some sort of questions that I come up with sometime.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So, but anyway, so yeah, so Fallen Skies ended, and uh, a lot of other good sci-fi going on, and we're getting ready to gear up for the fall season. And, uh look forward to our fall shows coming
3: back. Yeah,
1: me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. Well, um, in case you haven't noticed, before we get into the regular menu tonight, I did want to mention that we do have a poll running up, and it's on our website right now, and I think it's still active till about next week. And it's a poll where you get to vote which of the following, which of the movies that you want us to go back and rewind on our sci-fi rewind. Now, we, of course, are doing Stargate. Miles, I just handed you the movie, so mm-hmm. that's your homework for the next week or two. Uh,
3: that's no problem.
1: Yes, I know that's going to be tedious and laborious, and you're going to be dreading it. But,
3: but I'll take one for the team.
1: Yep, yep, do it. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyways, we're, we're, we're rewinding Stargate, the original Stargate movie for this month's Sci-Fi Rewind. So if you want to get comments in for that, get them in by, I think, two weeks from now is when we're set to do it. I think it's Tuesday, the 23rd, Miles. Okay. I think that's the 23rd. That we're actually going to be recording that episode, so you have a little bit of time. But for September and maybe October, we're, we're going to take the top movie or the top two movies to rewind over those <laughs> next
3: months. And the ones that are in the runnings are or what, Miles? Um... Terminator is in the running. Yep. Uh, Blade Runner is in the running. Yep. Uh, as well as uh, uh, Equilibrium, Enemy Mine, and let's see what else. Aliens. Aliens, yeah. 12 Monkeys. 12 Monkeys, yeah. 12 Monkeys is mm-hmm. in there. I'm not even sure who
1: is winning in that pool right now. Yeah. I didn't look at it recently, but I'll have to kind of redo that. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> Well, Miles, let's go into the menu tonight. All right. On the menu, we have a pretty dynamite menu, and you know, wow, it's going to be a packed show again. We, of course, are going to be sharing with you our interview with the Hot Lips Houlihan, Sally Kellerman herself.
3: The original Hot Lips, Lips Houlihan, yeah. Yep,
1: and uh, she, of course, was on the Star Trek, uh, the original series, mm-hmm. the, the original pilot. The, the second, second pilot. The second pilot of, oh, of Star Trek. The, the yep. story, second mm-hmm. pilot. We're going to reveal, we're going to be revealing, Miles, tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going to reveal our trivia winner. You don't you don't budge with that one. I'm not going there. <laughs> but um we are going to reveal our trivia winner. Um we're going to talk about Eureka being canceled because that has some fans up in arms. And uh I don't know if you're following the truck the uh, Twitterverse today and yesterday.
3: It was Oh, I saw some comments. Even yeah, even Amanda tapping uh tweeted uh how, you know, that she was sad for uh, yeah, folks who Yeah. Kind of here, upset. So yeah. she
1: must be a Eureka fan. Mm-hmm. Um we're going to talk about J.J. Abrams doing TED, and it's not as bad as it sounds. Um, we're going to be looking at the summer premieres uh, and how they actually did in retrospect and what those numbers mean anyways. Hmm. Uh, we're going to take our first look at Henry, was it Cavill, as the Man of Steel, Steel. Harry Potter is number three, and that's a good thing, actually. Controversial movie castings, and then Miles is going to bring you This Week in Trek. Talking about Star Trek Next Generation on Blu-ray, Michael Dorn on Castle, Connor Trinneer on Enterprise, and J.J. Abrams on Gay Trek characters. And uh, we're going to wrap up our show with the Sci-Fi 5 and 5 that, are, that was sent in by C.R. Smith. So you'll get his Sci-Fi 5 and 5. And that's kind of... Where that, that's where it's at, Miles. Cool. We got, we got a packed show tonight. It's a banging show. Mm-hmm. It's going to be good. All right, Miles, why don't we head into our trivia. We have a prize we are giving away
3: tonight. Mm-hmm. What was the question that people were vying for? We asked, uh, what does Dollhouse have in common with The Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions? And the prize
1: that we were giving away that they were actually you know trying to get, mm-hmm. get when they answered this question was what?
3: It is a lovely signed print of uh, Sally Killerman when she was in that episode of um, Star Trek where no man has gone before, and it's also pictured with her is uh, William Shatner. So It's unfortunate that Shatner hasn't signed it, but he just had to get in the picture. Yep. He, you, you know Shatner. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he
1: has to get in the picture.
3: But that may not be such a bad thing. If you're at a convention where he's there, he may sign it for it, and you'll yep. have a, you have have a double-signed print.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: That there's some value to that. Of course. Yeah, there's especially if you're Trek lovers.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, um, so... What did they? What was the the answer to this question? Uh, Dollhouse uh, and Matrix have in common uh, Harry Lennox. He played uh, Commander Locke in the Matrix movies and Boyd Langston in Dollhouse.
1: Yeah, and uh, believe me, he's been in other stuff too. But mm-hmm. those are the two things that we've seen him in. Right. And there's some connection there. And the code word, of course, was Echo. Yep. And who is our winner? Uh, our fr- our uh, friend Izzy. Yep, Izzy Isaiah. From Berkeley, California, I believe. And, um, he, uh, said he was rewatching dollhouse, forgot how amazing it was that, oh, I know the answer to this trivia and wrote it. So consider yourself lucky. Izzy will be sending you out a signed copy, a signed print, not a copy. It's uh, the original print. Oh, yeah. Sheep,
3: Miss uh, Kellerman put her hands on
1: it and signed yeah, it herself. Yeah. yeah. So if you don't ever want to wash it, you probably don't want to wash it anyways, <laughs> but you know, so it is. We will have a new trivia question we'll be bringing to you next week. It'll be some Firefly-related
3: trivia. So congrats, Izzy.
1: That's right. Congrats. Thanks for playing, and thanks for everyone that played. As always, stay tuned, and we'll give you some trivia next week or the following week when we record our next show. Well, let's do our first promo tonight. Mm-hmm. Our first
3: promo is from our friends at the Gamma Quadrant. Yes. And they are still producing podcasts, right? Oh, right. They're, they're going through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. They're in Season 5 right now, and um, is it, if... if if you if you've enjoyed Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, they'll 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 watch the episode and just talk about it, uh, talk about what they liked, maybe what they didn't like, um, maybe give some facts that maybe you didn't know about. Uh, talk about you know maybe who directed it, the costuming, the writing. Um, so it, it's good. It's, a, it's it's a good Star Trek: Deep Space Nine podcast.
1: Well, talk about Deep Space Nine. I just picked up. I didn't pick up my wife, who loves me very much. Pick me up about 20 Deep Space Nine novels. That's love. <laughs> that, is, that is love. Yeah. That is love. I haven't even seen the series yet. Still working my way through Voyager. Mm-hmm. But hey, if you're a lover of Deep Space Nine, this is a podcast, it sounds like, that you got to check out.
3: Right. They're, they're highly recommended by other Star Trek podcasts, and um, that's how I found about them yeah. from another Star Trek podcast I was listening to. Yeah,
1: Very cool. Well, here's the Gamma Quadrant.
3: Ever feel like it is hard to make friends with people from other planets? Tired of other races in the Gamma Quadrant pushing you around? The universe is a dangerous place. The Dominion can help. We offer mediation, protection, KetraCell White provided to every new recruit. Contact us via the iTunes store under the Gamma Quadrant and one of our Vortas will be happy to send you an application. The Gamma Quadrant is the podcast dedicated to all things Deep Space Nine. Look for us at gammaquadrant.libsyn.com, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N, or under Gamma Quadrant at the iTunes store.
1: And we are back. We're going to start off with some TV news, move into movie news, and then this week in track, and that'll be our news segment for tonight. And obviously the thing that is burning in everyone's mind tonight, Miles, as we record this, is yesterday, less than 24 hours ago, we got word that Eureka was canceled, a series that seemingly
3: was doing pretty well for sci-fi. That's what I thought, and I, I was very surprised to hear that. I was, uh you know... I was thinking, why is it being canceled? I mean, uh, ratings-wise, it seemed good. Uh, I mean, I know after, after so many years, the show gets kind of too expensive for produce, either pay paying the actors' salaries or whatever it is, and so they, that's when they pull the plug. But it,
1: We're going to look at how the premieres did mm-hmm. as far as the season started out between Alfie, Eureka and Warehouse 13 in just a moment. But sci-fi – has has canceled Eureka. And here's what the article says. The cable outlet changed its mind on the final season of Eureka yesterday and it canceled the show. There was supposed to be a sixth season. Mm-hmm. Six-episode arc at, l- at the very least. The fifth season is currently in production and will wrap up soon. Now, Miles, that's a good thing. If they're going to cancel the show, what does that mean?
3: That means they have time to wrap up loose ends. They engines. have time to
1: wrap up Blue's Engine. So mm-hmm. I like that. I don't know whether they will do it, but I like that. It's, just, it's scheduled to air... Um, it's scheduled to air next year. So, like, it's the fifth season, is currently they kind of split that and they, they air it next year. Sci-Fi initially signed on for a sixth episode, sixth season to bring the series to a close, but reversed that decision yesterday. After painstaking consideration, we have to make the difficult business decision not to order a season six of Eureka. But Eureka is not over yet. There's a new holiday episode this December, and 12 stellar episodes set to debut next year, marking its fifth season and six memorable years on Sci-Fi. 2012 episodes are some of the best we've seen and will bring some great series to a satisfying end. We are ever grateful to Bruce Miller and Jamie Pagilia, I guess, and their team of incredible writers and the amazing cast and crew have constantly or consistently delivered a series we continue to be very proud of. We thank the fans for their support of the show and know they will enjoy the final season in 2012, Sci-Fi said in a statement. As is this report, there's no details on how or why the series is given the pink slip, Alpha Airlock reports the series producer Jamie Pagilia was surprised about the shortened order and was told that those final episodes were meant to give him the latitude to wrap up the series. Whether Pagilia re, uh, resisted to wrap it up in such a way is not clear. Hmm. So it sounds like he was surprised they we were giving a short six season. To wrap up the show. Right. But it sounds like they aren't even getting that now.
3: No, no, that's too bad. I mean. No,
1: so I, I have some friends that have loved it. Uh, Felicia Day has been on it. That means the series has to be good, Miles. Of course. <laughs> yeah. But I know some of you are, we're going to talk, you you're you'll hear about in our feedback episode. If you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to it. People are, you'll hear some of our listeners' initial thoughts about Eureka being canceled. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's any doubt that this is a surprise.
3: Right and uh, well, if they're doing a holiday uh, episode for, you know, around Christmas time, I wonder if they'll do one with uh, Warehouse 13 also because they they both kind of have both of them. They have typically
1: one. Uh, team up when they do them, and mm. there is some cross
3: pollination yeah. between uh, the two. Also Scagliotti has made appearances on there, yeah, and yeah. Uh, they even made references of, to Eureka on uh, Warehouse 13. I want to
1: talk about a story that this came from Brie Grant, actually following her on Twitter, and she tweeted this, and I didn't even realize that J.J. Abrams had done this. Uh, are you familiar with what the TED Talks are? N- not a clue. Okay, TED Talks, it's really these intellectual discussions where all these sorts of f- famous people, and maybe not so famous people sometimes will get up there and speak. J.J. Abrams was asked to give a TED Talk, and he talks and traces his love for the unseen mystery, a passion that is evident in his films, And TV shows, including Cloverfield, Lost Alias, back to its magical beginnings. So he talks about the idea of mystery.
2: I want to start today, talk about the structure of uh, (laughs) polypeptide. I get a lot of people asking me, uh, in terms of Lost, uh, you know, what the hell's that island? You know, um, it's usually followed by, uh, no, seriously, what the hell's that island? Why so many mysteries? What is it about mystery that that, uh, I seem to be drawn to? And I, I was thinking about this, what to talk about at Ted. When I talked to the uh, the kind rep from Ted, and I said, listen, you know, what, do you, what should I talk about? Uh, he said, don't worry about it. Just just be profound. <laughs> and I, uh, I took enormous comfort in that, so thank you if you're here. I was trying to think, what do I talk about? It's a good question. Uh, why do I do so much stuff that involves mystery? And I started trying to figure it out. And I, I started thinking about, well, why do I do any of what I do? And I find myself drawn to infinite possibility, that sense of potential. And I realized that mystery is the catalyst for imagination. Now, it's not the most groundbreaking idea. But when I started to think that maybe there are times when mystery is more important than knowledge, I started getting interested in this. And so I started thinking about Lost and the stuff that we do. And I realized, oh, my God, like mystery boxes are everywhere in what I do. So
1: when you look at shows like Lost or Fringe, you you see the mystery. Even, Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, Alcatraz, for what we, little we know of, is shrouded in this idea of mystery. What's going on? Mm-hmm. So he talks about it. I actually went and watched the entire thing today and I'm going to embed it into our show notes as well as maybe embed a little clip so you can just hear a little bit about it, what he's talking about. Mm. But it's interesting. It's well worth spending 18 minutes just hearing him talk. Oh yeah. So you have to see some clips from Lost and from MI5 that he kind of embeds into this presentation. So. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some of the summer premieres. Let's now, talk. But the, the title of the article is Live Plus 7 DVR Viewing Info for the premieres of Sci-Fi's Eureka, Rouse 13, and Alphas. Again, this is interesting based on Eureka's cancellation. So why don't we go ahead and jump down to um, the, the short article that mm-hmm. says Powered by
3: New Monday Scripted
1: Programming Block Sci-Fi Rises.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Do I read that? Sure. Um, August thirty, August third, uh, twenty eleven. Fueled by the new Monday eight to eleven p.m. Uh, Eastern Pacific Time scripted program block of uh, Eureka Warehouse and Alphas. Sci-Fi jumped eight percent among total viewers in July, uh, and eleven Prime averaging one point uh, three. Eight million in the demo while also rising 3% among adults 18-34. As well, Sci-Fi earned double-digit growth in all the key male demos, up to 18% in men 18-34, 126,000. 16% in men uh, 18-49, 34,000. And 13% in men um, 25-54, 392,000 compared to the prior year. Sci-Fi launched Summer Premier Week on uh, July 11th, showcasing the most powerful night of the week with Eureka at 8pm Warehouse 13, at 9 p.m., and newcomers alphas at 10 p.m. That night became uh, sci-fi's highest based uh, on live uh, plus uh, 7 DVR data. That the July 11th premiere episode averaged. Yeah.
1: So what it is is they give us a bunch of different numbers as to how these these did. So for the premiere, Eureka garnered 2.8 million viewers.
3: Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Summertime on on a – That's better than what Fringe was getting, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: It was. Um, Warehouse 13, 3.56 million viewers. That's good. Alphas, 3.6 million viewers. That's good. So, okay, let's go back to Eureka. Mm. If you're going to evaluate, let's say you have three sci-fi shows, the lowest of them is Eureka.
3: Right, that's still a high rating. Well, two point eight to three point. I mean, that's not a huge drop off.
1: No, and we don't know how it
3: fared in the following weeks. But I just, it's, I'm a little bit, you know, perplexed. Yeah, I'm confused. I'm confused. What is the real reason why they're pulling the plug? Because yeah. um, of the reason, you know, it maybe be, it is expense. It could be. It could be expense. It could be expe- I mean, it's, special it's, effects. It's, it's a big cast, I think. And... Yeah, special effects.
1: Mm. pretty heavy laden because there's kind of right. monster of the week. Right. Every week. Um, this article goes into stuff like uh, the HH rating, um, the adults 18 to 49, and the adults 25 to 54, the significance. If you want to break down of that, I found a really good article and I'm going to link it in my show notes. It's called Numbers 101 What's a TV rating and who is it dating? <laughs> um, and so, this is out by TV by the numbers, and I'm going to embed that link so you can go read it if you're really interested in that. We won't get into the breakdown. Uh, I still love the opinion that 2.8 million viewers is a heck of a lot of viewers.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I think – I don't I mean, know. It, it, the show's doing something right. I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So for cable show, I think that's pretty good. Uh, yeah. Let's move into some movie news, Miles. Why don't you take away this one? Talk about the Man of Steel.
3: Well, we saw our first official pick, and uh, we'll, we'll put this on our Facebook page. Uh, uh, Henry Cavill is going to be playing Superman in, in the new Man of Steel movie, and there's been a pick release uh, of uh, of him, um, and we, we see him in the suit. And um, I could tell you the S looks just a little bit different than it did in the last movie. And I was looking at some of the comments on the page, and people were, were making how his hair is all slicked back and stuff. Um, but looks like the Superman suit, you know, looks um, looks almost like leather, almost the, the, the blue part. But maybe it's pleather. Pleather, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's his fake, fake right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, so um, I'll I'll uh, I'll probably check it out when Superman comes out. It, it, here's the thing: when you
1: look at him, mm-hmm. there's no doubt you're looking at Superman.
3: You're absolutely He's, right.
1: It's clear. Mm-hmm. No matter if they darkened his suit a little bit, it's not so light. Right. Um, the blues a darker blue. Um, the red's a little bit more cranberry red. It looks like just from the picture. Now the picture's a little bit dark, so it's hard to know what's being thrown at. Sure, but
3: he fits. He seems to fit the part. Yeah, when you look at a picture, you're seeing Superman. Right. So, I'll be. Uh, I'll just be curious as far, as far as this movie, what kind of tone they'll be taking with. Uh, um, I think. I think it will be somewhat of a departure from. It needs to be grittier. Yeah, the the, the audiences of today don't. Yeah, we said that before. Yeah, yeah. The, the Superman's too much of a Boy
1: Scout. Yeah, talking about someone that's not quite a Boy Scout is Harry Potter,
2: right? <laughs> yeah.
1: Let's talk about Harry Potter. Ha- Harry Potter. Did I say Harry Potter? You did <laughs> yeah, Harry Potter? Sorry, Harry Potter fans. I love Harry Potter, so I'm now a Potter file. But Harry Potter, Potter, <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter, and the Deathly Hallows, Part Two advances to number three of the highest-grossing films ever worldwide. So being number three is not bad, Miles.
3: Not when you're commanding that much money. No, no.
1: So here's the article, and here's what it said. And we've been following this a little bit because, you know, we're lovers of Avatar, which is mm-hmm. the number one movie, and Titanic, well, I saw that three times. haven't watched it since, but that's our number 2 mm-hmm. Harry Potter's now at number three. Here's what the article says. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two, the magic wielding juggernaut of a film, just keeps going, breaking records worldwide as it closes the immensely successful film franchise. About a week ago, we had brought in the news that this eighth film, the last chapter of Harry Potter film franchise, had crossed the one billion mark in cumulative global ticket sales. To date, the film has earned a worldwide tally of 1.14 billion 3 point, uh, 343 million domestically and 792 million internationally. So that's the way the 1.14 billion breaks down. According to THR, Warner Brothers Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part 2 has moved into the number 3 spot as the third highest grossing film in the worldwide box office, bumping down The Lord of the Rings Return of the King and the grossed 1.12 billion. Ah. Sucks to that one. No. <laughs> um, over the weekend, Deathly Howls Part 2 debuted in China with 26.5 million, still a top of the foreign box off for the fourth straight week in a row. Um, James Cameron Avatar with 2.8 billion and Titanic with 1.8 billion sit in the number one and number two stops respectively. Will Harry be able to overtake the Cameron creations? Heck, I go to see Harry a couple times if it means toppling the ca- Cameron record. Hmm. So, I, uh, that's what this guy said, and I haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. I want to, but it may
3: be DVD for me. Yeah, there's too many movies out there right now. But um, this is good news for Harry Potter. If you're a Harry Potter fan, this is great. And, and if anybody worked on the Harry Potter movie, uh, I mean, J.K. Rowling has got to be very happy. Uh, oh, without a doubt. I mean, uh, I mean, she's a millionaire many, many times over. Just from the books alone. Yes, and so... How uh, many authors that can say that these days? And so her 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 grandchildren's grandchildren will be you know still set for life. Yeah, that's for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, those actors are set for life as well, right? Well, Miles, you kind of embedded into the show notes here an article that came up in Sci-Fi about eight controversial comic book movie castings that actually work. Mm-hmm. Now, this article I think was in response to them casting what Lawrence Fishburne as. I saw this come up.
3: Well, I'm not. I don't know about this.
1: Um, it was a sidekick character to some character. I'm, I'm losing all sorts of geek credit. So, I'll see if I can find it. Why don't you go ahead and start talking about the article and I'll yeah, stop I picking my nose here.
3: Um, let's see if Scott can redeem himself. So, I will. eight controversial comic book movie castings that actually worked. And, uh, we'll see what, what you, our listeners, think. Uh, we comic book fans can be hard to please. When it comes to adapting our favorite characters to the big screen, we're picky. And some of us are sometimes, uh, obnoxiously so. It's rare that any actor can escape the wrath of fan criticism, and Lawrence Fishburne is the latest example of that. Luckily, directors and studios don't listen to every fan gripe. that's the reference, Lawrence Fishburne. Mm-hmm. I know I'm right. I just got to figure out what, it, what movie it is. So. Because if they had, we'd have missed out on some great and even iconic performances. Here are eight controversial comic book castings that, despite some reservations, worked out for the best. Uh, Michael Keaton as uh, Bruce Wayne Batman. Uh, Mr. Mom... Sure. Beetlejuice? Hilarious. Batman? What? That was uh, the general reaction when Tim Burton announced that Michael Keaton would play Batman in in his 1989 film. Fans were so disturbed by his choice that they flooded Warner Brothers' offices with over 50,000 letters protesting the decision. One person wrote to the L.A. Times saying, By casting a clown, Warner Brothers and Burton have defecated on the history of Batman. Well, that was just mean. After Batman's release, release uh, Keaton's performance softened some of the hardest hearts, which earned him enough uh, fanboy credit for a sequel. He may not have been the physical embodiment of what viewers expected, but he got the job done. So, uh, yeah, I was a little, you know, leery of him as a choice for Batman. But I, in the end, I, he, he kind of won me over. I thought.
1: Yeah, I think he did a fine, he did a fine job as Batman. Right.
3: I mean, uh, he went against type, and um, it worked. Uh, Heath Ledger as the Joker. Oh, now that, now that was a phenomenal choice in retrospect. <laughs> oh, oh m- most definitely.
1: Now, if you'd have said to me before the movie aired, Heath Ledger's Joker, I'd have laughed, right? Because he did not
3: seem like a. I just didn't know he had that kind of acting chops. I mean, uh, I don't think anyone really knew. And so, and it, it's it's tragic that uh, we'll never see him do anything again. But um, but uh, when Heath Ledger was uh, cast as the Joker in Christopher Nolan's uh, The Dark Knight, people were confused. At the time, he was riding a wave of critical success, including an Oscar nomination for his role in Brokeback Mountain. But readers didn't think he was edgy enough for the Joker. When, when casting news broke, one fan responded with, I like Ledger, but I'm not sure if he can pull off the sinister Joker. While another said, Seems like an awful choice for what was a very promising character. What What is Oscar win in the film's billion-dollar box office performance? We think it's, it's fair to say they were both wrong. So, yeah, uh, he was he played a great Joker.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. By the way, I found the article. I want to jump into the middle of what you're saying. Lawrence Fishburne has a new job, and it's at the Daily Planet. He's playing Perry White. Interesting choice. Yes. So that's the article's reference. I think it's also referencing Anne Hathaway as Catwoman. Mm-hmm. That image came out, and people were critiquing that image day in and day out. I don't have a problem with Anne Hathaway playing Catwoman. you've seen that image. She seems to fit it, fit it. So, Yeah, I'm fine with that, too. Yeah, I'm definitely fine with that.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yes. speaking as a member of the male species. Yes, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, also with Lawrence Fishburne, so um, he he's the man. So um, I'm sure he'll be able to pull it off. Absolutely, I think so too. Mm-hmm. Anyways, go on. Well, next on the list is Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, uh, Iron Man. Works. Yes, um, uh, Downey has always been talented. Prior to uh, 2007, he wasn't the most dependable actor in Hollywood. Therefore, when Joe Favreau chose him to play the title character in Iron Man, a lot of us were skeptical. Some fans of the comic book character had a, had a visceral reaction to his casting. What a horrible choice, one fan wrote. What is he like, 50? Maybe 15 years ago when he wasn't uh, phoning it in. Seriously, could you ever imagine Robert Downey Jr. in Iron Man armor hanging with uh, Captain America? Fast forward four years, two solo films, and a pending Avengers movie later. The naysayers have it all have all eaten their fair share of crow? Absolutely.
1: He was. He's. You can't picture him not being Iron Man.
3: And in some ways, his life is almost parallels with the with the fictional character of Tony Stark. I think. He unfortunately, was, so. And for, unfortunately, and fortunately, because we we've seen that both of them have done things to redeem themselves, and so I, I hope that uh, you know Robert Downey Jr. stays on stays on the path of just you know he can keep himself clean and. You know, keep making good movies, yeah, yeah
1: now this next one i'm I'm totally in love with, and it is Idris Ebola as hemdal
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Idris Ebola was of course cast as hemdal, and Thor folks were up in arms in the comics. the character is drawn as white in the films, he's played by uh, Elba, Elba, who's of African descent, even though there were protests. Uh, website petitioning his casting the actor didn't let it dampen his spirits he responded to the uproar by putting the character in proper mystical perspective he said there's been a lot of big debate about it can a black man play a nordic character hang about thor's mythical right thor has a hammer that flies to him when he clicks his finger that's okay but the color of my skin is wrong he has a point in the long run none of those nordic hang-ups hindered the performance or this film's reception In my honest opinion one of my favorite characters in the Thor film, the you know, Ge- the Guardian.
3: I didn't know he. Would, you know, there was such a big deal uh, about that. Um, I, I didn't read the comics,
1: so yeah. it was fine having. I didn't even think that. Oh, Nordic. I didn't even put two. in it should have clicked mm-hmm. that you know the the Norse,
3: the Norse people, are white. Mm-hmm. Didn't bother me that he wasn't. Didn't bo- he did a good job and um, yeah I, that was good choice using him. Yeah. Next one I have on the list is uh, Michael Clark Duncan as uh, uh, Wilson Fisk Kingpin from um, uh, Daredevil. And he might have been maybe the best thing about the whole Daredevil movie.
1: <laughs> That's what I hear.
3: Yeah. Before there was a uh, Idris Elba's uh, Thor debate, there was Michael Clark Duncan in Daredevil. The Marvel villain Kingpin was always seen as white, bald, tall, and stocky. With the exception of Clark's race, he embodied everything about the character. And that just wasn't enough for some. On a message board, one fan candidly wrote, When I told my friends that Duncan was playing Kingpin, he cried out, and I quote, Kingpin's not black. Despite the challenges from the public, Duncan's performance was uh, one of the few tolerable parts of Daredevil. In hindsight, his interpretation of Kingpin was the least of the film's problems. Right, right. And then
1: Edward Norton as Bruce Banner, The Hawk. Mm-hmm. We loved that Norton's version. It was, was great. Was, it was refreshing after the. It saved Eric the franchise. Who, yeah. You know, and. And we're going to get another Hawk this yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, anything. yeah, which I think is going to be fine. I mean, yeah. I did not bother. There's been enough time that's gone by between the Hawk movie. And,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but I loved Ed Morton's version of the Hawk. That was, mm-hmm. that was worth it. And
3: uh, what, we yeah, the, have these last two, right? Uh, Chris Evans as uh, Steve Rogers' captain. Loved I'm it. There. Absolutely loved it. Uh, Hugh Jackman as, as uh, Logan Wolverine. I can't believe there's any, why well, there would there be any problem. It was then. his height. He's short. Where, isn't well,
1: but Chris Evans? I think Chris Evans was like, oh, he's the guy from Fantastic Four.
3: It, it pro- yeah, and, and probably was, the characters were probably so polarizing that they figured he couldn't pull it off, and, and and I thought he did, which which leads me to another thing. I mean, as far as um, a lot of our comic book heroes, the other supporting characters in the past, um, unfortunately, a lot of them have been you know that mostly mostly Caucasian, I, th- I think. And so I'm not trying to be politically correct or, t- or like that, but I have no problem with, you know, this is the world we live in, you know. You know, it's, it's not just white people in the world. It's, we have African-Americans, we have Asians, you know, we have. And so the fact that it's, it's a little more inclusive now, I think that's a good thing.
1: It, it, it's Star Trek. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the inclusion. I mean, culture has changed. If I write a story because you know me growing up white, mm-hmm. and m- good chance of my main character is going to be white. Mm-hmm. But there's no ch- there's no problem with necessarily bringing other characters in to fill in those roles in a movie, movie adaptation or uh, another version
3: of events. Right. I mean, yeah. what, they, they don't all have to be Caucasian.
1: They're play they're playing with that in the rebirth of Spider Man in the comic books, aren't they? He's uh, I saw. Him. Isn't he Latino? Ha-
3: right? Half half African American, half Latino.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I mean. They, they killed off Peter Parker and mm-hmm. they now have a new Spider-Man and he is of uh, ethnic – it will be interesting to see how it flies, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it, he's, they have an, uh, an ethnic minority playing
3: the role. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, that's I, you know, I, I'm totally fine with that.
1: Yeah, no problem with that and I think all of these were very good choices in hindsight and I think Anne Hathaway is going to be great mm-hmm. and I certainly think that Lawrence Fishburne – I loved him in everything he's done.
3: Yeah. Huge um, fan
1: of his from the Matrix movies, and I've seen him mm -hmm. in other
3: stuff that have absolutely... He's a phenomenal actor, so uh, whatever whatever material they give him, it's going to be good. Yeah. Well, and Henry Cavall, isn't he English? He's British, yeah. He's British. Mm -hmm. So, I mean,
1: come on. I know people had problems with that, too. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he'll be fine. Yeah. So, we all just need to relax. (laughs) Yeah. Relax. Come on. Mm -hmm. Don't get so uptight. Yes. It's easy for us to say because we don't read the comic books.
3: We're not. We're not. Yeah, <laughs>
1: you know. Go, go ahead. Let's cast someone else as Picard and see what happens.
3: <laughs> we, we, well, we can cast a Frenchman as Picard, but well, but 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 uh, Patrick Stewart is English, yes. But Picard was originally a, a you know French, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right.
1: Oh, whatever. Right. Uh, talking about Star Trek, why don't we go ahead and head into the twist tonight,
3: Miles? This week in Star Trek, um, I want to thank uh, Chris and Charity Wood for uh, posting some of these articles that we're about to. Uh, uh, share with you. Um, so Star Trek Next Generation on Blu-ray and remastered.
1: We've been hearing talks about this for some time now, so this isn't totally new news, but you have some updates. So go ahead. So
3: we have, yeah, the rumor mill seems to think so. We've been waiting for this since we first got wind of original series being remastered and released in, in high depth. Since Next Gen was originally shot on, on film, post-production's output for the final episodes were on video. The special effects throughout the series would need to be remastered before the show could even make it to Blu-ray according to Digital Bits' a secret stash of Comic-Con sources. CBS is indeed working on a remastered version of the series with four-episode demo disc that might be available to fans soon. Uh, multiple sources, uh, the Digital Bits uh, spoke with it. Comic-Con, have also confirmed the report from earlier this year that CBS is hard at work on the Star Trek Next Generation remastered uh, for, for Blu-ray, released sometime in 2012. The latest word is that four test episodes are currently being worked on for a release, As a sampler demo uh, uh, BD disc of the project. And the sampler disc will somehow uh, be available to fans by the end of this year. You can put us down for a copy. I mean, who wouldn't want to see yesterday's Enterprise or cause of effect with updated visual effects? Uh, By the way, if CBS wants to skip uh, Shades of Grey and Code of Honor, you completely understand. If you're a fan of either of those episodes, leave us comments below. Uh, Many of you can persuade us with uh, your compelling uh, arguments.
1: Yeah, and you're going to hear some of your <laughs> thoughts about uh, Next Generation in our listener feedback episode. Or You mm-hmm. will have heard them already, mm-hmm. and about them putting it in a Blu-ray and what people think of it. Mm-hmm. But I, this doesn't surprise me.
3: No, it's def- it, I, I I don't think this will be the last, some kind of sci-fi show that's going to be... Uh... Yes.
1: I, I expect if we're going to do this, they'll probably head and do Voyager next or Deep Space Nine.
3: Oh, I, I, yeah, I could definitely
1: I, would, I wouldn't... It wouldn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. If we're going to update the effects of that, and people will buy it. Yeah,
3: and, and, and as they said in the article, it's it's, it's a necessary step if it's going to go to Blu-ray. It's not, it's, right, and you,
1: you need to do that. Yeah, And uh, someone made the comment that there are a bunch of stinker episodes. I don't know why I was reading it. Maybe it's one of our listeners commented there's a bunch of stinker episodes mm-hmm. in, in it. But if you're going to argue... That there's some episodes that you could get rid of, mm-hmm. you could do that with the original series.
3: Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to do that because somehow it's all a part of the canon.
3: Yeah, you want to if you're gonna.
1: Yeah, you've, you've got to preserve it. If you're doing it for posterity's sake. Right. Then by all means, keep all the episodes whether you like them or not. And sure, they're reference points.
3: Um, if I if I could uh, quote somebody from uh, TrekCast who said, "I'm all for it as long as they don't go get all Lucas on it." Yeah.
1: <laughs> Started replacing actors and mm-hmm. placing voices and making Boba shoot first. Or whatever. <laughs> oh whatever. Greedo, Greedo. Sorry.
3: Mm-hmm. Um Go
1: ahead, give us the next piece of news here,
3: Lyles. So our next up in news is um Star Trek Next Generation, so uh, Michael Dorn set to fortify Castle. Does everyone remember how a warp school Doros in the T N G episode of reunion and by school we mean he took the cowardly Klingon to the woodshed with a batleth. Uh Doros went on like a sucker. Let's hope uh, that Michael Dorn doesn't have to do the same to his future co-star Nathan Fillion on the hit detective series Castle. That's right, ladies and gents. Our favorite uh, Russian-raised Klingon security officer has to play a psychiatrist in at least two episodes. The wait, quote, wait, wait. Picture
1: Worf as a psychiatrist. Just, just a moment, Miles.
3: <laughs> it, it, it I, I'm not coming up with a mental image. I mean, yeah, no, uh, no, it's pretty, it's pretty stark. I'm picturing,
1: you know, him in his Klingon outfit trying to counsel them.
3: They, they they've even made reference in, in, in next gen about you know why you know certain races of beings wouldn't necessarily make good counselors. And, no, they didn't. Klingons, so. Klingons were on that list. <laughs> yeah, they definitely would. Anyways, so uh, the article goes on to say uh, uh, Michael Dorn's new character will help a uh, detective uh, uh, Kate Beckett, played by uh, Stana Katic, deal with being shot in third season finale. But her sessions may also examine her relationship with Castle. Castle's producer Laurie Zach said it's going to be dredge up a whole bunch of stuff. The conversations will enlighten how the relationship will move forward to uh, whatever the next level is. It seems Michael is making some waves as the, with his new indie project, Liberator, as well as a new role in the wildly popular detective series. What's not to love? We're, the, we're huge Firefly fans, and we also adore Michael Dorn. Nathan Fillion and Castle, of course. Uh, uh, in Star Trek, it's, it's like a gigan- gigantic, uh, geek tornado sets you level the mobile home park in our minds. Okay, yeah, that was an obscure reference, but you get the picture. Yeah. So,
1: uh, talking about Liberator, we're going to be interviewing uh, yeah. guys from Liberator on Thursday. Mm-hmm. So we'll bring you that interview in the upcoming episode, and you'll hear them talk about working with Michael Dorn and some of the others, Nikita. And, mm-hmm. uh, Who's the other one? Uh, Lou Frigno.
3: Wow, Lou yeah. Frigno. That's a...
1: Yeah, it's a uh, hawk, right? He played the, yeah. the, the, the Hulk the on the The original TV. hawk, right? So, uh, uh, but hey, I'm glad we're seeing him acting again. He's been kind of off the radar for me.
3: Last thing I saw him on was Heroes. He played the president in Heroes. He played the president in Heroes. That's right. Yeah. I would not have paid that as because well.
1: mm-hmm.
3: because he did a good job as president. Yeah. Yep. Yep.
1: Uh, why don't you give us this next piece of news and we'll try and make this brief yeah
3: I'll uh, just uh, I would refer you to uh, star Trek.com they have an interview with Connor Schneer um, he revisits his enterprise days and I'm just going to read you just the first thing they uh, the first uh, statement um, and, and and the question they have for him and, and, his, and his response so um, Connor Cheeer is light years removed from Star Trek Enterprise but the show its cast and crew and fan Fans and the experience that will remain with him forever. It was the actor's notes, the kind of opportunity every actor hopes to have at least once in his and her career. Star Trek.com recently caught up with Trunier for an exclusive two-part interview, in which he recounts his days playing uh, Charles Triptucker Tucker and, and fills us in on what he's uh, doing now, which includes recovery from knee surgery and appearing in this week's uh, official Star Trek convention at Las Vegas. Below is part one of our conversations, and check back tomorrow at uh, Star Trek to read uh, part two. Um, so the question is asked, uh, how, how much do you miss Enterprise, the work, the character, uh, the people, the paycheck, all of it? Uh, Trini responds, well, all that definitely to this point in my career uh, has been the most satisfying experience for me, and that was Stargate. It's funny that we're both, uh, sci-fi, they're both sci-fi shows, but I love both characters, and they're so drastically different from one another, as with two shows. Do I miss Enterprise? You don't really want to miss things. You don't really want to go back. You want to look forward to what's next, but... It was an extremely uh, satisfying experience. We would have loved to have lasted longer. It didn't. That's life. We're actors. Get over it. Move on. But it's nice to know that I was involved in something that gave a lot of satisfaction and, and continues to give a lot of satisfaction to people. As a storyteller, look, that's kind of what you're out here to do. If you succeed in that, then you're even better. Awesome. Who did he play in Stargate? Um, it was in Stargate Atlantis. Um, okay. Yeah, so I... I've, I so you don't know, know yet. I don't know yet. So you have to let us know when you find out. Okay, <laughs> but hey, so that's, that's kind of cool.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's kind of cool. And one last piece of news here, I kind of threw in here because it hit the the uh, waves today, the airwaves today, the computer airwaves, digital airwaves today. JJ mm-hmm. Abrams loved to be able to do a gay character in Trek too. Now, before we even get to this, why would it be appropriate to have a gay character, knowing the culture of Trek? Of Trek?
3: Um, Star Trek uh, has always tried to be uh, inclusive. It always tried to be inclusive
1: mm-hmm. and always tried to speak about what's going on in society. Right. These two things. Be relevant. So the fact that you're talking about it's not a surprise. Mm-hmm. And we've been seeing a lot of gay characters play into the forerunners of shows like, you know, Stargate Universe. Um, oh, there are other shows as well. You know, Warehouse 13 now. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a, there's a lot of different stuff going on. Uh, JJ, This article just says this. J.J. Abrams, the same guy who got us to care about strangers on an island, may just be the person to pull off the first gay character in the Star Trek franchise. Star Trek has always used science fiction to speak about the ongoing issues of our society. Kirk has sexed up green-painted ladies, controversial a kiss with Kirk was a big deal, and tons more interspecies dating has been seen, but never actual flesh-on-blood gay character has perplexed many people associated with the franchise before and even surprised Abrams when he was asked about it Over at, uh, after Elton. You know what's funny? Someone who's never been a huge Star Trek fan and I didn't watch the shows and my experience with the movie uh, was the first in the series and then watching and re-watching some of the movies that I have seen I'm frankly shocked that in the history of Star Trek there have never been gay characters in all the series. In T-Space Nine and the Enterprise that's never come up. So will there be a gay character in Abrams' version of Trek? Before they get it, she has to speak to Abrams after Elton spoke with Robert Orsi and Alex Kurtzman about it, and they responded that they were open to the idea but had no plans to include gay characters yet. Here's the thing. It's going to be difficult to take the original crew mm-hmm. and make a gay character out of that. They've been established, right? Right. But you may, there may be some supplemental characters that you can bring in that might that role?
3: Sure, I mean uh, there, there, there'll probably be other supporting characters and so that's, that's that's one direction they could go if they decide to. Right. Um, as, as, you know, as long as if the story calls for it that's one thing but to just you know
1: But Star Trek's never been about just throwing someone in there just to just have it in there really. There's been always a purpose hasn't there? I would, yeah. I would, overall. So that's, mm-hmm. as long as they do it with a purpose mm-hmm. we we're saying that you know hey if they want to do that all, all for it, because it, it, uh, it is something that's meant to speak to a larger society.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Miles, we've been talking about news long enough. Thank you so much for bringing us this weekend trek. My pleasure. And, uh, let's move into our last promo tonight. Our last promo is from the good folks at Slice of Sci-Fi who brings us, t- who brings us, who bring us tons of good interviews, mm-hmm. news and trivia as well. Make sure you check out at Slice of Sci-Fi.
3: Is the long drive to work getting you down? Do you feel like the other drivers want to run you off the road and beat you with the tire iron of life? Relax. Take a break. And let the fun of sci-fi news geeking ease your drive-time woes. Slice of Sci-Fi. It's not as good as having a stormtrooper on your hood.
1: But it's close.
2: SliceofSciFi.com
1: And we're back, Miles, in a moment. We are going to be interviewing or sharing with these fine folks that listen to us our interview with Sally Kelleran from Shore Leave this year. Right. Shore Leave's 33. Mm-hmm. Awesome lady to sit down and talk with.
3: Well, right. I mean, we, I think we haven't talked to many people who have been in, in the business as long as, as she has and uh, has, has done such you know great work. I mean,
1: from everything from back to school all the way down to MASH and then, of course, mm-hmm. Star Trek. You know we haven't talked to many people that have been on the original series of Star Trek before.
3: No, she might have she, she and uh, Gary you know, like Lombard would, Lombard
1: would probably probably be the first yeah 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 we'll be bringing you Gary's interview some sometime mm-hmm. down the line. Mm-hmm. but anyway, so here it is. Enjoy the interview that we have with Sally Kellerman.
2: Captain's log, stardate 1312.4. The next mission of the Enterprise takes us into an unknown force field which affects the destiny of my closest friend.
0: I understand you least of all. Gary told me that you've been friends since he joined the service, that you asked for him aboard your first command.
2: It is my duty, whether pleasant or unpleasant, to listen to the reports, observations, even speculations on any subject that might affect the safety of this vessel. It's like a man who has been blind all of his life suddenly being given sight. Sometimes I feel there's nothing I couldn't do in time. Some people think that makes me a monster, don't they, Jim? What would you do in my place? Kill me?
3: Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking with the lovely Sally Kellerman who I and many others who kind of grew up over the years. She has worked on the second pilot on the original Star Trek series playing Dr. Elizabeth Diener on the episode where No Man Has Gone Before and was the original Hot Lips Houlihan in the movie version of MASH and has appeared in two of my favorite comedies back in the 80s, *Moving Violations and played love interest of the legendary comedian Rodney Dangerfield in Back to School. Also throughout the 80s, 90s and 2000s has continued to shine in TV and movies. Our guest has most recently seen Law and & Order and the new Beverly Hills Nine two one zero. Miss Kellerman, welcome and thank you for taking time to talk with us in the Sci Fi Diner podcast.
0: Well, thanks for having me, guys. Nice, you, you're up on all the news. Except I have a new series I'm doing.
3: Ooh,
1: so tell us about it. We, uh, we want to hear
0: about it. Yeah, it's on uh, HBO Cinemax. Okay, and it's called Chemistry, mm-hmm. and we don't mean in the lab. Uh, <laughs> And I uh, it's all these beautiful young uh, kids that are uh, you know having affairs and uh, semi dress and undress but the writing is so smart and funny and bodyudy and all I do is I show up for the episode and I do this uh, so far they said next year they want to expand my character because it's such a good character. Oh, my God. Uh, my name is my character. Uh, i's called Lola. And I went to Barnard. And I have just the wisdom of, you know, all the lives I've lived. I've been there, done, ev- done it, done every one. And... Uh, yeah. <laughs> So I have these monologues that I do into the camera, and that's what I did. And I uh, show up, and you know, in the mm-hmm. middle of, I don't know where they put it in the it's episode.
1: It's kind of and a commentary on what's going on, oh, then?
0: you know, I once had a three-hour uh, argument with Anais Nin about fellatio and communism. Uh, she's, you know, and it goes on, <laughs> goes on from there. It's very <laughs> funny and graphic and... Body-wise, you know, because I do impart wisdom also, you know. (laughs) I mean, some really good stuff. So all mixed in with, whoa, she actually said that. Yeah. (laughs) So it's called, oh, what's it called? I said uh, chemistry. Chemistry, and it's going to be a late-night, half-hour on uh, Cinemax. Thank so they're liking it a lot, the network, and so they really get behind it. Uh,
1: awesome, awesome. Yeah, so well, that's it's good. really
0: fun, it's really nice.
1: And you're still acting after all these years, huh? Well,
0: you know what's amazing is that my music has always been such a passion for me. And in the last, since Boy- I did a picture called Boynton Beach Club about three years ago, or maybe it's four now, I don't know, I never know about time. Uh-huh. And then I just had all this time to work, to just to. Music, 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 you know, and I've always I mean my first heard, you know Burb Records at eighteen and my first album and, you know, the seventies and Muscle Shoals National. I've been everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. with a lot of we've done that with with everyone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and worked with a lot of great people. But um in these last three or four years, it's just been nothing but music and Val Garay, who produced uh, a lot of people, Bonnie Raitt and James Taylor, and, uh, a lot of different people, you know, and uh, won the album of the year with uh, Kim Carnes for Betty Davis. I, so he came in and started coming into my shows, and we, we made this CD, uh, Sally, with all these classic musicians, and great songs, and so it's just been, you know, I've been in heaven and I didn't think I'd ever act again. And somebody called, uh, last year and said, would I like to do an Alzheimer's patient in this movie called Club?" I was like, okay, I'm, I'm one of those, you know, dare me and I'll, I'll do it, you know, okay. And then I thought after I took it, what have I done? My god, I'm an Alzheimer's patient, but it's not real. Right. You know, it'd be horrible because it's a serious subject and the film is very light. Uh, Ernest Borgnine is a star. Anyway, I took it and I volunteered at Alzheimer's Patient Wing and things like that. I learned so much and I brought so much from those patients back to the movie and I really enjoyed it and it sort of reinvigorated my interest in acting. And then I got this great part of 90210, which I'd never seen, and all those kids were so talented—the new one, you know—and right. I had a two-part. But again, it was a woman; it was an aging actress who, <clears throat> you know, had been kind of a recluse. I meet this young girl, a wonderful, talented girl. And I wonder if I can still remember it. And not this moment, I can But she, she was great. So it was mostly just the two. It was sort of like Sunset Boulevard and All About Eve. And, you know, it was just a great, great role, and I end up killing myself because I'm heading into Alzheimer's. So when ke- when chemistry came along, yeah. I still get laid, you know. I have this great, you know, part I'm no longer an Alzheimer's patient. I, I'm alive and kicking, and you know, there's no holding me back, you know
2: what I mean? So, oh, nice. Anyway,
0: that's the summation. Of
1: the uh, very Up good. to
0: date, and now take it away, guys. No. you, ask no. it, you well,
1: well, thank you for sharing that, because that one of our questions was, what's going on in the future, and it sounds like this is it.
0: Oh, yeah, and then I'm on the road singing. Every day, so, yeah, you know, very Good. Still, like now, I can do both. I always could have, but you know, in the early days, I when I was, you know, nominated for Academy Award and everybody offering all these movies, I did a couple, and then I turned everything down and went on the road for three months with a band. You know, because I was an idiot, really. Because, but you know, I, I wanted soul, so
3: that's it. Did you perform musicals? I mean, with your with your singing career, did you uh, singing background? Did you perform musicals? When, um, well,
0: you know, I was in one. Well, I I did. I've done Mame in, in Florida and Burt Reynolds Theater, and I. Uh, did, uh, I was in a big, huge, famous flop of Breakfast at Tiffany's okay. with David Merrick and Abe Burroughs and Edward Albee and, you know, and Mary Tallymore and Dick Chamberlain and me and well, it lasted three nights we were there five months and, and uh, so those are my only two musicals mm-hmm. I've done a lot of plays things, but, uh, but I just always wanted to be a recording artist that was my passion you
3: know and you get to do it now It's great very- I'm doing it yeah so when you first started on Star Trek was this your first working in sci-fi yeah okay
0: no way <laughs> no no I had done two Outer Limits oh okay yeah I think I had done those before because otherwise because I was you know doing a lot of guest starring and, and what started that was The Outer Limits for me uh, Joe Stefano who wrote Psycho the screenplay of Psycho was really an old fashioned kind of Hollywood guy and he came and saw me and I was working as a waitress but I did one play my reviews were her wooden portrayal of Stockman's daughter left much to be desired she should get out of the business and uh, and the other one was called Call Me By My Rightful Name and at the end of the play this man comes up to me I'm Joe Stefano uh, I think I'm going to be doing a series. Um, and if I am, I can't believe the growth from your last play now. <laughs> and he said, I'm, 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 going to be, I'm going to find a partner. I went, like, okay. And as he left, I turned to my friend and said, I'll be in the restaurant for the rest of my life waiting on tables. Right. And six months later, I get the script in the mail. The part is Ingrid. The, the magic is yours. Excellent. Hey, I mean, that was cool. <laughs> Uh, no, he just and uh, the two cinematographers on the outer limits were William Fraker and Jaws, the only thing that comes to mind, a lot of great films he did, and then Conrad Hall, was one of the great cinematographers. They both were like great. And they were the they were the operator and the cinematographer you know the, you know, the Cameraman and the photographer. Definitely, there's other guys. They, 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 uh, so Joe Stefano says does she, she know her motivation and yeah. make her look like a movie star. And I had a big fat face, a yeah. short brown hair. And they gave me some muskrat collar and a cigarette, you know. And they lit me like a dream, and I never stopped working from that day on. And then Joe wrote the second episode. I don't know if you ever saw it, where I killed the outer space monster. Oh, so good. You, you guys took before your time. It <laughs> did. Down though. No. Oh, so track it uh, yeah. down. It's such
3: a. Now, now, being that this was the second pilot that was being filmed for Star Trek.
0: Well, you want... Yes, let's get back to Star Trek. Anyway, those are my those are my two ventures into uh,
3: sci-fi prior to
0: Star sci-fi, Trek. Sci-fi. Yeah. Okay, let's
3: well, check those episodes out. Um, now, this was the second pilot that filmed for Star Trek. Was there a feeling among the cast that they had a hit and the show was going to take off?
0: You know, I don't have a clue. You know, I was just I just showed up. You know, I was I was the guest starring on all the TV shows at that time and they say you want to do Last night, in the question and answer, I just realized Oh, this was a pilot. <laughs> you know, I always say, "Oh, yes, I was in the pilot," to me, but I never really thought about what that meant. You know, and right. I don't think I knew when I got there it was a pilot. I don't think I even thought about that. You know, no, no. or thought about what anybody. But Bill Shatner was very handsome. Nice, you know, so right. hung out a lot with him. You know, I had a lot of laughs. He's funny guy. Uh, but uh, now Star was telling that story. We looked awful. But, sorry. No. Powder no. blue stretch pants were not for me. No. <laughs>
3: All right, go ahead. Uh, Star Trek was telling was about telling stories, addressing social moral issues. I have rewatched Where No Man Has Gone Before recently, and it uh, still spoke to about the message uh, that I believe was telling that even good people could be corrupted by by power. Would you say it's an accurate assessment of the ep- episode? That, you know even good like characters that got these powers they were good people in the beginning but, but is that what had... is
0: that what it was they were good people were we good I ended up being a good person yeah. Gary did not I remember that I was very proud mm-hmm. but we both were good in the beginning and then Gary got corrupted. Mm-hmm. yes I think in this world that we live in we see a lot of uh, <laughs> I don't know how good they were before but we see a lot of corruption and, you know right, and the big right. wealthy powerful you always wonder when they have so much doubt i Rip us off, right, rip everybody right. off. You know, I mean, how much do you need? Yeah, right. I mean, right. I guess it just get, we just get carried away. And oh boy, greed sets in, and uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Is that what the, the thing was about? Oh, that's yeah, good. <laughs> yeah I, you a know, good message. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, of course, I knew that. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> uh,
3: uh, I like to shift gears know. a little. Movie uh, Back to School, my favorite comedies in the eighties, and I'm sure. You get this question a lot, but I, I gotta ask what was it like to work with Rodney Agerfield on set and
0: you off? Yeah, you know, he was a darling, a darling guy, you know, uh, he was a serious man, okay. And all those hilarious things that he said in that movie Marlon brando you know, ballooned up nicely, with, pound for pound, our finest actor, <laughs> right? Chris, <laughs> tall and fat shop, uh. You know, he wasn't, it uh, wasn't like, hey, let's hang out and everything. I mean, somebody like me, I, he invited me to go with he and a girl, a uh, woman that, that he was seeing or something, and uh, in this limo to, he was being honored somewhere by the airport. So he invited me to go with her. And we've been, and he's been so honored, and then we're back in the limo. And he was, you know, very uh, available that night, very sweet, and i and so I say to him on the way home, you know, Rani. You know, you really have to come up to the house and have some dinner. And the look, on, I mean, I don't know how to ever translate this, but the look on his face was the last place that he was ever going to want to be it would be my home and my husband and I having dinner. You know, he grew up in the nightclub business. You know, he's been in nightclubs all his life. He had nightclubs in New York. You know, he was Vegas was his. You know, if I'd said, hey, come to Vegas. And let will saying, oh, no, some drinks, you know, right. <laughs> things that, that might have been. But it was so cool. It's funny to see. Oh. I don't know. Just, it just cracks me up yeah. to this day see the look on his face.
3: Yeah, if it, it, movie Back to School comes on TV, i got to watch it.
1: It's,
0: oh, I know. It's I show just,
1: the scene where he's reciting the poem, as I mentioned, the Dylan Thomas poem. Where I am, yeah. Yeah, where you're in that scene, and, and he reads that with such passion.
0: I didn't know he read it. I read the Paul Dylan Thomas. No wait, He hasn't
1: memorized. He has to, to memorize. He has to. He has oh, test. he does.
0: Oh, after the test. Yeah, oh. at the test. He's. Oh, he, the board oh, of he wrote. An, he read another poem. not well, my well, poem. It wasn't. No, that. it was your poem. It was Dylan
1: Thomas. Oh, Dylan Thomas. Oh, yeah. Played. Oh, yeah. And he reads with such passion. I play it for my creative writing class because my teacher oh. and he did. It's it's just great.
0: Oh, he's so great. He I was. I'd forgotten about that. He's so. He was so great. And you know, he spent every night in his. Robe working on the script. He was, uh, I mean, you know, he was responsible. And oh anyway, so
3: keep going.
0: About Ronnie, I I have a couple other things. So when, when uh, I heard that, you know, someone said you want to go and meet with about this picture, and I I said to my husband. I don't know how I get the job. I don't even know if I like Rodney Dangerfield. You know, I don't even you know surf the channel and see him two minutes in Caddyshack or something. I, he's not my type of guy. And so I go to the meeting and I uh, talk to them all, and they say, well, "We'd like you to come back and read." Uh, and the day they picked, I was working. So I said, "Oh, I, I can't get it. so they said my agent." Well, you know what? We don't want her to agree. I mean, she can do the part in the front, you know, that Adrian, Adrian Barbeau did. And I had done so many oversexed, you know, comic, comedic, you know, stare, whatever the part was. I, I just called my husband in tears. I said, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to go. I don't, want to, I don't want to ever play that character again. And he said, don't do it, honey. Don't do it. So that was the end of it. So I, I call my agent and I say, I just can't do it, I I can't do that. You know, if they want me for the lead, you know, they want me for the other part, I said, you know, I'd be fine. He says, I'll make them see you again. Okay, you know, so I said, okay, so now he's made them see me again. And I'm like all the way there to the studio and going, what the freak am I going to do? Walk in this room where nobody wants to see me, you know, and I'm going in to get this part. And then it was on another studio, and it had an outside steel staircase up to the up to the office. You know, and every step I'm going, what am I going to do? What an asshole! I, I got to run, go the other way. Right. <laughs> Instead, I got there, and I opened the door, and out popped, "Well, I see you're all as handsome as I remember, and I've got to go." And Rodney goes, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> readings are hard. I said, yeah. And he says, did you change your hair? He says to me, with a room full of men. I said, no. And I looked at him and said, did you did you change yours? Because he looked better to me. <laughs> yeah. And so I sat down and read the poem and got the job. You know? uh-huh. Been voiceovers all my life, you know. Right. So uh, I don't know. He was great. The director would just say, Rodney, just plant your feet and speak, you know, uh, because he was a comic and the director. As long as I'm here, I might as well brag. He said he gave me the credit for making him so human, you know what I mean? But I had such an easy job. I just had to love him. You know, people say, how did you do it? And, you know, and then, the, did you kiss Rodney? And I go, yeah. But they cut to the dogs, you know, <laughs> when we were kissing him. You know. But he was, he was sweet. You
3: know, so. Yeah, Rodney was, I mean, he was still Rodney, but he wasn't over the top. I mean.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was just so delightful, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and I did, I just adored him, you know, and we had the kiss and I said, okay, go mop up and have a good blow, <laughs> and let's go, you know, because it's always fun. <laughs> Come in, and one morning he came in at 6 o'clock in to make all right, I'm stoned, you know, yeah. that kind of thing, but... That's all my secrets about riding. Nah,
3: that's, that's good stuff. I'm yeah. so, so you, you made, made an appearance at Vegas Con last year, and now you're here at Shore Leave. Are you are you now doing more more conventions now?
0: Yes, you know Gary Lockwood, the great Gary Lockwood, uh, uh, told me years ago, why well, aren't you starting these? And I would look at these conventions. I'd be in Vegas. I mean, like in a million years you know I think what a fool for more than one reason because it's so interesting to meet the fans and it's rather touching and, and, and I, I really enjoy that part and it's kind of a nice mutual exchange and I enjoy mm-hmm. certainly you know being, getting paid to this you know right. I feel sometimes I feel badly because I think oh you know they bring their last dime to get a photo that I'd be happy to give them don't tell me but you know what I mean? I mean I mean it's but it's and then and then I'm just late in the day to realize that without fans and without my fans, you know, I don't have a career. Right. I mean it's like the fans are the whole the whole deal, right. and I think I didn't really appreciate that for a lot of years, you know. So this has been a real eye-opening Absolutely. and uh, and fun, and I get to see you know, I, Gary, and I, I get, get to see that handsome Cliff right. and uh, yeah, great John, and, uh, oh, yeah. and you know, and you guys. And, you know, I mean, it's fun, right. a lot of fun. I've seen a lot of friends that I didn't haven't seen in years, so it, it's really nice, and I, I think it is a nice mutual. Well,
3: uh, yeah, uh, seeing you in the movie or TV, you're. Know, Made us laugh. Made us cry. I mean, uh, you know, after a, a hard day at work, you know, go, but, uh, you're good therapy. I mean, it's, it's so it's 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 definitely not one side. And we, we get so much of seeing you perform. So it's it's it's, it's, and del- it's been a delight to meet you. Oh,
0: thank you. The same to you.
1: And we are back. We hope that you enjoyed that interview with Sally Kellerman. We're going to bring you a Sci-Fi 5 and 5. By the way, I don't know if you noticed that Wayne and Dan released a Sci-Fi 5, and five down in their feed. I did so. You like yep. Mm-hmm. So you can listen to it. Mm-hmm. With a little bit of introduction. I haven't done that yet. They give us some sort of introduction. That's too. pretty cool. But yeah, anyways, anyways C.R. Smith wrote in and shared his top five Sci-Fi shows of all time or maybe current sci-fi shows that he really likes. Mm -hmm. So, I'm assuming the bottom one is number five. So why don't we work at
3: number five and work our way up? Do you want to take the odds? I'll take the even. Sure. Uh, What's on his list? Uh, We'll say for number five, uh, Game of Thrones. Yes. A lot of good things about it.
1: By the way, thanks you, Radu, for... uh, Making it able for us to see Game of Thrones, so we appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I shared, I did share the love with Miles tonight. Mm-hmm. So I haven't watched him yet, but I did share the love. His second one was Terminator: Sarah Connor Chronicles. Absolutely loved the series, especially when you get into second season.
3: Oh yeah, it's 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 a it's a crying shame that they canceled that show. Yeah, because it, it really had some good places to go.
1: Yeah. And there was a real good reason to watch this next show.
3: Uh, alias, um, yes. Uh, Jennifer Gardner, right? Oh, yeah not, not, yeah. not too hard on the eye.
1: That was a, a good reason to do
2: that. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so. yeah. X-Files. Love this show. I own every single episode on disc and, um, and watched him a few times and haven't watched him much recently. But I'm a huge X-Files fan, so I should be here.
3: And uh, next, a uh, good choice: uh, C. R. Smith, uh, Fringe. His number, you know, his number one and number two are related, right?
1: Right. Fringe is the appropriate successor to the X Files,
3: right? And it'd be it'd be really cool if they could somehow tie the, you know, they did that one episode. Uh, are, are they saying Fringe comes out of the X Files universe? They hinted at it. Okay. That
1: Fringe is a part of the X Division. Uh, okay. And they they did one episode where they highlighted a lot of X Files stuff. So. Was,
3: that, was that season one? I don't it might have been season one.
1: Okay. I don't know. We'll have to ask Wayne. Wayne will clarify that for us. That's yes, for sure. sure. Help us out, Wayne. Yeah. Help us, Wayne. But... Well, I believe that's it, Miles. We got to wrap up the show. If you, before we do that, if you want to give us your sci fi five and five, you can do that by emailing emailing us at the Sci Fi diner Podcast at gmail dot com, calling us at one eight 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 five zero eight four three four three, and leaving us your feedback. We'll play it. We don't get a lot of audio feedback regarding the sci fi five and five, but writing in's fine as well. JP Harvey, we still have some of your sci fi five and fives to share, and we'll be doing that in future episodes. And uh, I believe that's
3: about it, Miles. All right, well, till next time, good night and good luck. We will see ya.
1: <laughs> I'm recording, Miles. <laughs> All right.
3: We're going to hell for that one. <laughs> I'm going to keep that in. All right. I hate you.
0: <laughs>
1: you heard it here tonight. Miles hates me. It's official. Mm-hmm. We have it on digital copy, and there's no way you get edit that and make it say what you want. <laughs>